and welcome to this week's episode of Bury the Lead. I'm one of your co-hosts, Winnipeg Free Press columnist Jen Zaratti, and I'm joined today by Winnipeg Free Press reporter Katie May. Because Hello, hello Katie! Because Erin's uh, off living her best Sex in the City life at a wedding in the Hamptons, so... That's where she is. So Katie's going to join us for this episode. And today on the show, we're going to talk about that horrifying climate change article in New York Magazine. Yeah. We're going to talk about some self-care strategies for people with stressful jobs. We're also going to talk about the Winnipeg Fringe Theatre Festival, which begins next week. Thank you so much for agreeing to be part of this today katie thank I'm you great. for having Excited me to have you on long time listener there wasn't uh, i'm i'm a long time loyal listener but i would have imagined there would be a long lineup of guests waiting to uh, to be part of this so thanks for having me of course so we always begin with a little discussion on how the week was so how was your week well i spent a good chunk of time uh transcribing interviews so that's the worst part of this job. I feel <laughs> it's like. been kind of like trudging through a tunnel of self-regret and just like trying to get through, you know, listening to the sound of my own voice. So I guess it's good that now I'm on a podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I feel like I should be more used to how my own voice sounds, having done the podcast and also doing videos for the paper. But I never like it's you always never get shocking. It. So it's like, is that how I sound like or, or just the I'm. I like having conversations with people, so I find it's impossible to like transcribe because it's like, yeah. why are you talking? Like, shh. I never get used. It's like a horror show. I want to light things on fire every time I hear my <laughs> own voice. <laughs> Everyone says it's not that bad. It's like no, hearing yourself talk, and, and just like the, I think because neither of us ask questions on camera or on radio that I I find with me anyway that my questions sometimes have a really roundabout way to them kind of like this podcast sometimes yeah it's it's kind of the worst but the worst is when you find out a thing that you didn't ask and then there's nothing you can do about it. it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion because it's already the moment is gone and you can't go back I know I hate that I actually used to do most of my interviews by hand so I would just I used to be a lightning fast note taker and then I remember it was Ryan Adams, not Brian Adams, but Ryan Adams. He was like, you know what? I really would feel more comfortable if you were recording this interview. Do you mind if we record oh, it? really? Wow. And because he, you know, felt that he has been misquoted a lot and that kind of thing. So I was like, okay, like, even though misquoting can happen even with a recorded interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of that interview on that I started recording them. And I find that I don't listen as well. I find that yeah. I'm a better listener when I'm taking notes. Oh, really? I find the opposite. Really? I find the opposite. When I don't have to focus on taking notes mm. and getting down a full accurate quote, uh, just leave the recorder rolling and then I'm fully in the zone to listen to what you're saying. I'm totally the opposite. I find that when I'm in the note taking part of it, that is forcing me to listen because once they say it, it's gone. Whereas I find with recording, I sometimes ask questions multiple times <laughs> and it's like, okay, okay like... and. Like I'm listening, but it's like, okay, clearly you're not. I think if I was taking notes as well, I would have, I would have caught it at the beginning. So, so transcription, transcription for you. We, Aaron and I recorded last week's podcast at the Winnipeg Folk Festival. So that was kind of our week this week. And I think I said it last week on the show, but how it was kind of nice to not have to work the whole festival. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was nice to actually be able to enjoy the festival. And it turns out it was a, a banner year for the Winnipeg Folk Festival. They had like, yeah, yeah, like record attendance and it was a great weekend. They had great weather. So it was nice to, uh, to actually enjoy it, which I'm. It's a good one to be an observer instead of always a reporter. Totally. You can be more involved and less detached. Exactly. And I see Samson, my dog, has made himself I'm quite lovi- at home I'm here. loving this moment right now. <laughs> Samson's just licking my hand. You, me, probably most of the world, I feel like, read that article that was in New York Magazine about climate change called yeah. The Uninhabitable Earth. Yeah. First of all, I- I'm not really used to a piece of modern analysis telling me that I don't worry enough. I know. I know. That was because I feel like I worry a lot. Yes. Like probably excessively so. Yeah. Like to the point where I'm literally in therapy for worrying. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it's kind of like, so I was kind of offended by that initially. And then I found that article so scary that I couldn't even finish it when I first attempted it. Yeah. It did, was. Did you start reading it, it before was, bed? Because I, I did. Yep, that's when I read it right before I tried to go to sleep. Um, but I had to read it all in one sitting because I needed to know the horrors that awaited me, and Which, apparently there are many, many. So it was written by David Wall- Wallace Wells for New York Magazine, and has gone viral and has spawned many, many, many response articles to it. Um, and basically, the article it's like it's not really saying what will happen i think it's saying what could happen in the most worst case scenario like we're all gonna die for sure um and you know everywhere is going to be too hot to live and it's going to be too humid and there's going to be no food and just every possible horrifying thing you can imagine was written in detail and there's been a lot of people fact checking it too like being like well this was maybe exaggerated a little bit in this yeah etc that was the most interesting part for me is just all the fact checks that came after Mm -hmm. because the the um new york magazine even ran a whole piece did you read that one where they talked to some of the climatologists that yeah that disagreed with what Mm -hmm. he was saying and i thought it was interesting too how in the space of the piece there was no real it wasn't really like a historical piece of journalism in that there was nobody really quoted right like it was kind of like clearly a lot of research and interviews had gone into it but there wasn't like it wasn't structured the same way it was written very much like a dystopian future telling yeah just like sort of a palatable polygon of doom (laughs) exactly (laughs) five point bullet list of (laughs) how your life is gonna end yeah here are the things that could happen and you should panic about them um but i thought this quote was interesting and i'm going to read it it's from uh michael mann who was a scientist that was interviewed but not quoted and he wrote this on facebook and he wrote a big long post but the part that stuck with me was the evidence that climate change is a serious problem that we must contend with now is overwhelming on its own there's no need to overstate the evidence particularly when it feeds a paralyzing narrative of doom and hopelessness Mm -hmm. that was kind of my sense like i'm not sure that scaring the shit out of people is necessarily the best way to you know bring them to your cause you know what i mean how do you get them to pay attention I, like I is think, there a better way i think that's the rub like i think it's one <laughs> of those things where it's like you should already be paying attention to this because it's one of the biggest issues of our time and yet I think, and this is also touched upon in the piece, I think it's so big and so hard for people to wrap their brains around 
that they can't. And then fight or flight kicks in. And I think everybody's like, eh, flight seems okay. Like, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I've been thinking about that all week and I haven't really like, well, since I read it. Yeah. Um, and I guess, uh, I haven't really decided where I land on that, whether I thought, felt it was like, oh my God, this is too hyperbolic. I don't and know. No one will take it seriously or it's the sit up and take notice. Cause you made a good point before we started rolling about the fact that now suddenly we're talking about climate change in a way that maybe we have. Yeah. That, been. that a lot of us haven't before, but I don't know. I don't know where I, where I fall on that either, because I think that his point in writing it was, it needs to be scary. You guys need to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. And before we get to the worst case scenario, um, I also think with the fact check thing, I understand why that's important. I felt that some of the fact checking were kind of more like minor quibbles as opposed to a full on fact check because he wasn't writing like, again, it was a stylistic choice that he made in the way that it was written and the way that the information was presented. So I also think like, yeah, it's kind of an interesting example of storytelling yeah, and how you use facts to tell a story. And so I don't know if any, I'm sh- I don't know if any facts were full on misstated. I think some of them were wrong, but I think some of them were just phrased in a way talking about what could happen. Whereas I think a lot of people read it as he's saying this will happen. Right. So. And then he said, he clarified later on, although I think it said in the original piece that he doesn't actually think the planet is going to be uninhabitable um, in a century's time. Mm-hmm. That's just the cautionary tale. But I kind of thought if you make it, so on one hand, you want people to pay attention, but if you make it too scary, it goes the other way. If if this is going to be inevitable, then kind of, it's kind of YOLO, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Live it up because, yeah. yeah, you're, you know, New York City will be underwater and we'll have to try to grow vegetables in the tundra. Right. I think there's got to be a good balance between um, this is urgent and we need to do something, but we still can do something. And I think that was something that a lot of uh, scientists specifically who have been writing responses to this piece were like, where's the hope in this story? Because we actually have a lot of hope with evidence that we've found. Yeah. Cautious hope, but hope nonetheless. So I thought it, I, I didn't think the original piece was hopeless. I mean, it was very disturbing. Highly disturbing. Yes. <laughs> but after I finished reading it, I, I kind of it kind of made me want to know more about what's being done locally. You know, what what's happening in our city and, you know, how can I contribute? So I think that's a great point, too. Um, and one that I hadn't really considered because I kind of had the opposite reaction to it. I was like, ah, void. But I went back and read it and was glad that I did. And I just I thought it was um, an interesting piece that provoked a lot of reaction yeah moving on um speaking of wanting to walk into the <laughs> sea which is ever rising and coming to get you according yeah. to new york magazine um wanted to talk about self-care because that is something that i've been thinking about a lot and just how there's kind of a instagram cottage industry built around self-care and you know capitalism but thinking about kind of the venn diagram between self-care and self-indulgence and what that means and kind of your own personal definition and how you kind of deal with having a stressful job how i deal with it maybe this is the time for me to like get listener suggestions on my well-being Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) yeah yeah please do if you have any suggestions um 
but no, I mean, we do as journalists have a stressful job, like a lot of people, you know, <laughs> so yeah. it's something that I think a lot of us, no matter what our job think about. Um, but I, I, I also wonder like when you're when talking about the Instagram cottage industry, like mm. I wonder if is self-care just sort of a new, more healthful term for like treat yourself. That's what I think too. I mean, like, I don't think that necessarily investing in like a super expensive candle is gonna you know change my life in any way but I think it's important to I think pleasure is important I think taking pleasure in things that others might deem frivolous is also important um but it's interesting because for me self-care means things like flossing yeah. And eating something green and maybe not scrolling through Twitter and reading doomsday articles before bed. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, yep. <laughs> but I think in sort of the modern, modern usage of self-care, it's really like treat yourself to a massage, treat yourself to a manicure, like do all these things that suddenly become kind of exclusionary and you have to have a lot of means to access Yes. That's what I was just thinking is self-care seems like the way that it's being sort of bandied about is like, this is something for rich people. Totally. So. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of something that I wrestle with. But in terms of how I, you know, my idea of mm. self-care, is I've just got like very, very basic. Uh, I decided to make a cake recently mm-hmm. I decided to bake sometimes I bake uh but yeah if I don't know how much you want you don't want to know about my cake <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to know about this cake um I just decided that it would be relaxing for me to make a layer cake which actually I had never done before uh at this point in my life um and I wanted to make it just look like the girliest like the, something you would find at like a five-year-old's birthday party mm-hmm. that was my goal so that's what I did and was it delicious uh, it was delicious, but it was more about like the, the act of baking act it of baking and like it. putting the sprinkles on and like coloring the icing. I think that's great. I know that people make fun of this, but <laughs> I recently got back into coloring, which is something. And I mean, the adult coloring book boom is mm-hmm. a is a is a thing. But it was something that I loved doing as a kid, and just kind of getting lost and losing track of time and getting into that flow, which is what you can get into under ideal writing conditions, right? Where you just kind of lose all track of time and you're into it. Yeah. Um, I found that with that as well. And I think for me, self-care does include some self-indulgence. So whether that's, I'm going to, you know, purchase a really great face mask or I'm going to, and take the time to actually put it on and sit and relax and do those kinds of things. And, uh, Obviously, snacks are a big part of my self-care strategy, um, which sometimes I think is healthy and sometimes I think is not. Like, I know that nutritionists will say things like, you should eat exactly seven almonds because it's brain food. (laughs) But like, all I want when I'm like trying to crush a deadline is like dips, you know, those chocolate covered granola bars that are actually chocolate bars or goldfish crackers cheddar only the other oh, flavors are garbage one. yeah and that was the point of, i think that was the point of my like endeavor to bake this ridiculous mm. cake is because i was feeling some deadline pressure and yeah um but there isn't a vending machine close to me when i'm working so that really inhibits my power to get 
good deadline snacks. I know. And it like, and I want garbage. I don't want, so is it self-care then if I'm like eating trash? (laughs) It's the age old question. I feel like it is and is not, you know? But in the current definition of self-care, is it? I know. That's see, I feel like it is because I think that you were allowed to have. You can justify anything by saying it's self-care. That's true. You really can. That's I where do it all I, the time. That's where you get into, oh, me too. That's where it gets into like kind of a slippery slope where it's like, is this self-care or is this self-indulgence and I'm actually doing something that's secretly bad for me? Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy thing. But yeah, snacks. Um, speaking of snacks, this is a really great segue. Um, <laughs> but, but you know where has amazing snacks always is the Winnipeg Fringe Theater Festival which starts this week. Um, I love this festival. And you were saying you're kind of like a new to Fringe. Yeah, I'm new. And I want to, cr- I've, I've been in Winnipeg three years. I need to cram in all of the like past three years of fringiness into this season's festival. So I'm so getting snacks a pass. are a key part of that. Yeah. Like obviously oh, seeing sure. amazing theater is, but like... You know, there's just nothing better about kind of wandering around Old Market Square with delicious mini donuts and lemonade and just kind of soaking in the fringe vibe. That is such a big part of it, too. And overhearing people talk about like plays that they loved and like running into actors hand billing. And like, I really like the like, even if I didn't see a single show, which is impossible because I'm always reviewing them. There's just such a vibe that happens during that festival that I really, really look forward to every year. But the plays are also amazing, too. Can you give me your tips for experiencing the French Festival? I absolutely can. And also listeners as well, if uh, you haven't been or haven't been in a while. Um, I Obviously, and this is a like, shameless plug for our employer, but definitely read the Free Press's reviews because we try to review all the shows. I'm reviewing 16 this year, which is a pretty full slate. Um, but definitely My jaw read. just dropped. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot. <laughs> It's going to be like employing some self-care strategies (laughs) next week. But uh, yeah, so definitely read reviews, but also just like listen to like get recommendations from people like hanging out, like just you'll overhear stuff when you're in line at a show, Mm -hmm. ask people what they've seen and they will give you recommendations out the wazoo. Actually, I was on the French website uh, wanting to get my pass and they say that, oh, local media outlets will review them. But you know what? You should really listen to word of mouth. Word of mouth is a crazy huge part of Fringe. And it's actually kind of nice because it kind of has the um, upshot of being also a community builder, too. So it's mm-hmm. kind of nice. Like if you're waiting in line to get into the venue. It's kind of nice to just strike up conversation with people. And also you will meet so many actors who are hand billing, which is kind of part of Fringe. They have to get out there and hustle and plug their own shows. But it's kind of it's. It's fun to meet them because then if you go and see their show and then run into them after and you can tell them personally like how much you loved. And if you didn't love, then you just avoid making eye contact with them. (laughs) It's usually my strategy. (laughs) I just can't imagine having to review it. I've never put myself in the reviewer's shoes because I feel like I'm not qualified to review anything. It's, I would, this is probably a whole other topic for a whole other podcast, maybe next week, but I wrote a column about this last year um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people feeling feelings about star ratings. Yeah. And I pointed out in this column that star ratings are completely subjective and therefore a bit meaningless because there's no agreed upon rubric. Like there's no like my five stars is going to be different than your five stars. 
but I think what makes reviewers important is that it's also a bit of an art form because you're talking about what makes something good, what makes something bad. It's not enough to be like, this is good, this is bad. You have to justify why. So it's kind of like any other form of opinion writing or any other column that I would write where it's, what's your position on it and why is that? And can you articulate that through writing? But what's interesting about that kind of criticism, especially at the fringe level, because you have all different kinds of people coming from all over the world at different levels, right? So there's some plays that have clearly just been workshopped and you're just off book and this is a new play to veteran fringe performers. And they're putting themselves in a really vulnerable position yeah, because it's their art and their livelihood and they care a lot about what they're doing. And then to have a critic rip it apart potentially, of course, that's very bracing because it's like, what do you know? Like, what makes you an expert? Like, that's always a question asked for the negative reviews, mm-hmm. but not for the positive ones. No, positive, <laughs> positive is accepted. Negative <laughs> is usually rejected. Which is opposite of how it goes in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I I regard positive reviews with suspicion. With myself. a lot of it's suspicion. Like, yeah, it's like, why are you saying that? And as always, we end the podcast with what we're reading, watching, and or listening to. I'm going to go first because <laughs> I'm super pumped to talk about this. Um, so I've been kind of like working my way through my Netflix to-do list, which strangely feels like achieving stuff like a regular to-do list. It does. It's like, yeah, I got through it. Same with like getting through your PBR. It's like, yeah, like... It's so satisfying to click that, like, remove from my list when you already watched it. I know. It's like you're achieving something real and productive. Um, This is sad. (laughs) (laughs) But I finally got around to watching Riverdale and I got around to watching Stranger Things, which are two very different shows, both dark shows, but very different shows nonetheless. And uh, I wasn't sure. I think I had talked with Aaron on a very early episode of Bury the Lead about how I was unsure about Riverdale because I felt Archie was too hot. And I still think he's too hot, but it was really good. I really liked it. <laughs> like it's so soapy and ridiculous, but it's actually pretty good. Did you watch Riverdale? I, I yeah, I binge watched it, which is, uh, but it, it wasn't like how I remembered the comics at all. <laughs> no, and as we were saying before, we were both avid fans of the comics growing up. Yes, but uh, and I was prepared to hate it because sometimes I prejudge things but I actually really enjoyed it and I kind of had it occurred to me that everything kind of comes back to Archie in the teen comedy and or drama universe for example on the OC Seth Cohen's next door neighbor was it Marissa Cooper like Betty Cooper and there's always a feisty brunette like Veronica whether it's Summer Roberts on the OC or Jackie Burkhart on that 70s show everything comes back to Archie I think you've just exposed that Archie is the rubric for everything we know. I think I did too. <laughs> so there you go. I expect this podcast to go viral as a result. <laughs> <laughs> and then Stranger Things was great. Um, I'm like a year late to it. Last year, it was the big show of the summer. And season two is back in ha- like Halloween, I think, or just before. Um, but it was kind of nice to watch that show like outside of all the hype around it. And I really enjoyed it as well. It's a, such a love letter to 80s, like E.T. and 
all the John Hughes movies. Like it's such a, it's like such a specific time and place. So I really liked it. I want to watch it for that, but I'm worried it'll be too scary. It's quite disturbing. Like it's not, not freaky. And I had one Stranger Things related nightmare. (laughs) Only one. Only one, which I feel like is pretty good. How about you? What are you probably uh, have more nightmares than that from the climate change? Article. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's it's uh it's interesting because it's not like a full on. I feel like there's been a lot of stuff made about like dystopian futures, whereas this takes place in the 80s. But right. But yeah, it's not dissimilar. Still trying to think of something that I can uh, bring up because, like I said, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's hip in pop culture. But you are reading a book that. But just I am. I, I'm just. I started reading, uh, Roxane Gay's uh, *Hunger*, her memoir. I haven't got too far into it, but um, I think I'm really going to appreciate it. Not quite the light summer reading that I. Uh, no, it's like was hoping for. It's pretty. It's pretty um, intensely about her body and relationship to her body from yes. what I understand yes I loved Bad Feminist which was her essay collection I've never read any of her fiction um but I have been looking forward to Hunger as well yeah so it's pretty dark already based on her own personal experiences and what are you working on this week actually I'm heading into a little staycation nice yeah everyone's taking their summer holidays I already took mine <laughs> and I'm kind of feel like i should have waited till it was like summer summer but well well i mean our whole definition of summer is gonna have to change it's true <laughs> because yeah soon it will just always be summer and then we'll long for winter but i was inspired when you said uh that you were having a staycation so i'm gonna i'm gonna do some self-care on my staycation and nice. as pretentious as that is oh i love my staycation i felt like i really enjoyed winnipeg as well which was 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 nice yeah, I'm going to approach it to the best of my ability as a tourist. Drank a lot of rosé. Finally saw a polar bear <laughs> at the zoo. It was really a it was really a better time. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for filling in um for Aaron for me. You're today, welcome. Katie. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, as always, you can find everything that we're working on at winnipegfreepress.com. You can also follow us on social media. I'm at Jen's Ratty. And you are And I'm at that Katie May. We'll see you next week.